0: We have been involved in a series called Royals, Becoming Who We Are. To me, there's nothing probably more important for us to study than who are we in Christ. Why is that? Because it's such a huge part of our salvation. I think often we think, oh, salvation, I get to go to heaven. Awesome. Great. Live life till I die and then I get to see Jesus and that'll be great. But it is so much more than that. I think one of the reasons we want to talk about our identity is because often our identity is wrapped up in so many things that are are temporal, so many things that can change, like our intelligence, our appearance, our status, our job, our money, whatever it might be. We tend to tie, it's such a tendency for so many of us, to tie who we are to things that are unchangeable. Things that are even eternal. So we started this series a couple weeks ago, talked about identity, talked about who we really are is not necessarily what people see. It's who we are in Christ. It's what Jesus has done for us and what he calls us. Amen. That's who we really are. So important to understand that. So, what we're doing over the course of this series is we are kind of coming up with in passages with a word that describes our identity. And if you were here last week, you know that Kondo said we are forgiven. We are forgiven. What a powerful message. If you didn't hear it, it's go to the website, you can listen to it. Because our forgiveness has nothing to do with anything we have earned or achieved. It has everything to do with what Jesus Christ did on the cross in our place for us. He died for our sins so that we might be forgiven. And Condit uh, did, did such a good job he did about talking about how we often think God is mad at us. We, some of us have this picture of God that he's an angry God. And when we mess up, when we sin, when we blow it, he's just really angry and irritated with us. No, he still loves us. We also uh, had this idea of, if I can just be better, if I can just be a better person, if I can just do things more correctly, often we think, then God will love me a little bit more. No, no, his love for you is perfect. And that shouldn't make us say, then I should do whatever I want because it doesn't bother God. No, God still hates sin, right? He still hates sin, and our sin has consequences in our lives as well, but it doesn't affect how God views you as his child, and that's such a beautiful thing. So we're going to be talking about another aspect of our identity today, and I'll just throw out the word of the day, and it's the word called. We are called by God for his purpose called. One of the things that uh, I love about the passage we're going to look at, it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, you can be turning there if you'd like, is that God has a purpose for our lives, and we might call it our calling in life. We are not supposed to live life aimlessly. We're not supposed to just pursue things that feel good to us. The question is, what does God's word say about our purpose in our life? If we believe that God placed us on this earth with a plan and a purpose, and he did, then doesn't it make sense to want to know what that is? I think it makes huge, enormous sense if we do that. Now, one of the things we could talk about when we talk about being called by God for his purpose, it's interesting because the scripture talks about two two different types of purpose. One is God's calling or God's purpose for all of his children, for all believers. And one of the reasons why we have the word of God, which is so incredible, what a gift God has given us, his word, is that this is how Christians are supposed to behave. This is some of the... Uh, common things we share about our calling. But something else that's amazing, and this is so helpful as you walk and journey with Jesus for decades, I think, is God gives you great focus, I think, he does for me, I believe, and greater clarity as the years go by, as I walk with him, is how has he designed me? How has he made me? What is his specific plan for me? What is his specific plan for you? That's not unique to a few of us, That's true for all of us. I think often we can live life very reactively. Often we can live life in a very go with the flow. Paul said it this way, don't be conformed to what? To this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through God's truth. So if we want to know what God's purpose is for our lives, we live in this book We pray, we talk, we ask the Spirit of God to give us wisdom as to how we can best honor him and fulfill his purpose and plan for our lives. Now, it just so happens, because this is a a topic I am really passionate about, that we're in the middle of a four-week class talking about this topic, how to live with purpose. And by purpose, we mean God's purpose. So we've done two weeks, we have two more. You wanna slip in, hey, there's no homework, there's no tuition fee, I, I guarantee you. You can slip in and be a part of our last two weeks. Love to have you. Tuesday nights at the event center, 7 to 8.30. Okay? There's a book on, on about purpose that is a classic. Some of you have read it. Purpose Driven Life. Anybody read that book? Awesome. Incredible book. You know what? This is the 20th year after that book has been written. It was written in 2002. This is 2022. Pastor Rick Warren Wrote it. To date, 35 million copies of Purpose Driven Life have been purchased and hopefully read. It's really good to read books you buy, okay? Just saying, it really is. 35 million. Why? Because a lot of us really hopefully understand how vital this topic is. What is God's purpose for my life? What is God's call or calling in my life? And so the passage that I'm going to be sharing with you this morning, I love it. It's one of my favorites, is in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And we'll have the verses up on the screen. But I want you to turn there with me, if you would, please. Now, one of the things I like to do when I study a book of the Bible is know a little bit about the author and even maybe know about the audience. Because like all Paul's letters, this book is a letter that Peter wrote. Peter was probably the most commonly known, the most uh, person that was a disciple that we know about in scripture. When you hear the name Peter, if you've read the gospels, you probably have some thoughts. The guy was a leader of the disciples. Besides Jesus, he was probably the leader of the other 11 disciples. He was quite outspoken. Sometimes he was very fearless Sometimes in his boldness, uh, he stepped over the line with the Lord. I mean, Jesus had to say to him once, get behind me, Satan, to rebuke Peter. But Peter was also the one who stepped over the boat to walk on the water with Jesus. I mean, Peter was an awesome guy in so many ways, kind of got himself in trouble. Many people know Peter most sadly about the fact that three times he denied our Lord on the night that our... Lord was arrested and betrayed. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus fully forgave him? Jesus fully restored him. And as you look, starting at, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, all the way out th- throughout much of the book of Acts, God used Peter in an unbelievable way to carry the gospel to the ends of the world. That's Peter. So Peter writes his book... And in chapter 1 and verse 1, we're told who his audience is. And here's what's so amazing about Scripture because this is the living, active Word of God given without error to the original writers of Scripture, handed down to the church. It's written to us, too. His audience is. Verse 1, the elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And you're saying, where? (laughs) Uh, Modern-day Turkey. Let's just go there. You know where Turkey is. That was that region. Most would say that the vast majority of the audience that Peter wrote this book to were Gentiles who had come to know Jesus as their savior and as their Lord. But there would have been certainly some Jews as well who were his audience. Peter has this incredible couple of verses, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, that talk about identity and very specifically about how we've been called by God and the purpose that God has for our lives. Look with me at verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 2. This will also be up on the screen. Mercy. So I want to focus, first of all, on that first part in verse nine, where it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. These are four titles. Peter is saying, this is who you are. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your savior, this is who you are. And then he gives these four amazing titles. Now, these terms would not have been new for those who were Jewish Christians. These terms would not have been new to them. In fact, these terms are quite reminiscent to Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Here's what those verses say. This is God speaking through Moses. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So much of what Peter is saying here about who we are in verse nine is very reflective of what God said about the nation of Israel. But there's a huge difference because we are not the nation of Israel as the church, we have not replaced the nation of Israel. Here's the huge difference. What I just read out of Exodus, the book of Exodus, is tied to keeping the covenant, keeping the law or the covenant of God. If you keep the covenant, these things will be true. Here's what's different with us. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, this is the beauty of being born, as we say, on this side of the cross. (laughs) After Jesus had died and rose from the grave, is we are these things. We are declared these things amazing titles, these roles that God has given us. And it's not conditioned upon keeping the covenant or keeping the law. It's simply by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, receiving his forgiveness and becoming children of God. That's what's required only for us. So I want to refer to these four as our calling. These are our calling. The first one is this. We are a chosen people. We are a chosen people. Interesting word, chosen. Think about that for a moment. Who chose us? God. God chose us. Listen to Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. He said, For he, that's the Father, God the Father, chose us in him. Him is Jesus Christ For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, without getting into a lengthy theological discussion about free will and election and some of the stuff that kind of scholars talk about, um, let me just simplify and say clearly what this is saying. It is awesome to be chosen when you don't deserve it. (laughs) It is awesome to be chosen when you don't deserve it. Jesus said it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave, you can say it with me, his one and only son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, what? Shall never perish, but shall have everlasting life. God chose to send Jesus to live on this earth, to live a perfect life, to die for the sins of the entire world. And we become through faith in him, his chosen ones. That's who we are. God pursued us. So number one, we are a chosen people. Second, we are a royal priesthood. Peter uh, wrote several key verses earlier in chapter 2. I want you to see this because he talks about this early in First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Now, some of you would be familiar with this term that's often used. The church believers, Christians, are the priesthood of all believers, Here's what this means. This means that all Christians have full access to God. There is no mediator needed for you to have a relationship with God because Jesus was the ultimate mediator. You do not need a priest. You and I don't need a sacrificial system. We don't need any of those things to have an intimate relationship with God. That's what's so amazing. In fact, if as Jewish Believers would have heard that. There is no need for a priest. There is no need for a sacrificial system. Through faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus fulfilled all of that. You can speak directly, personally to God anytime you want. It's so awesome, isn't it? That we can worship and he hears anytime we want. We can praise him and he hears anytime we want. We can just, as we're driving along in the car, as we're going to an important meeting, as we're putting our children to bed, we can talk to him and he hears us anytime, every time. Isn't that mind-blowing? That is mind-blowing to me, and it probably is to you as well. That's the access we have as Christians. That's our royal priesthood. Is the idea that we see here. Number three. We are a holy nation. We are a holy nation. Again. What's being contrasted. Is the nation of Israel. And the church here. We the church are a holy nation. That means that we don't have. One specific. Uh, government. Or one specific. Property or one specific flag or any of those kinds of things, one specific people group. We are a holy nation of God. This made me think of Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Here's what it says But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. I've had the opportunity, some of you have as well, but I've had the opportunity, it's been amazing. Because when I think of the church, I often think about that phrase in the book of Revelation, every tongue, every tribe, every people, every nation. That's his people, that's God's people. And I was gonna say, I've had the opportunity to travel to other parts of the world and be with other Christians who love Jesus. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've had Got, I've gotten to do in my, in my life because there's almost this instant bond that you have with people who love Jesus and know Jesus. And sometimes you don't even speak the same language and often they worship very differently than we do and their culture is quite different than ours. And yes, there is something so beautiful about the incredible diversity and unity of the body of Christ because we are one nation and it's a holy nation. It's a nation that is to reflect him in his name. God doesn't like clicks. God doesn't like, you know, our church is better than your church. Do people really say that? I don't know, but they think it. (laughs) I know they do. It's like some of that stuff that we can do is just so not who the church is supposed to be, right? We are a holy nation. And by the way, our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are part of this eternal kingdom called the body of Christ. That's who we are. And then my favorite one, the fourth one, is we are God's special possession. We are God's special possession. Some translations say we are God's own possession. Bottom line is we belong to Christ. You know, I know as Americans, we can bristle at this word. We're somebody's possession. What? Are you kidding me? I mean, how much is independence and self and self-sufficiency rooted in our DNA? Plus, I think it's part of our nature, as well, and yet we are God's special possession. I think that's an incredibly endearing term that we have. You know, when you and I asked Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, when we said yes and responded and asked him to forgive us of our sins, the right response from us is Full surrender of our lives to Him. We often will call that making <clears throat> Jesus Lord of our lives. That's the right response. That's the biblical response. He has forgiven me. I've given my life to Him, to serve and to honor Him. In fact, there's a verse, um, a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, that are incredibly powerful. I want to read these to you. Some of you know these. Apostle Paul writes, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Look at this. You are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor or glorify God with your bodies. You are not your own. Doesn't it kind of fly in the face of everything we tend to think? I'm doing my thing. I have my dreams. I have my plan. I have my purpose. I'm doing my thing. And you know, I know how I can be because I don't necessarily verbalize it that way, but I often live that way, very much that way. And we are told you are not your own. You're God's special possession. That's not a bad thing. That's a really good thing. That's not a demeaning thing. It's really good. So as I looked at this, I thought, okay, here's here's the key words for me. We are chosen, we are royal, we are holy, and we are special. <laughs> That's pretty nice. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? We are chosen, we are royal, we are holy, we are special. That's part of our identity because we know Jesus Christ. Amazing. Let me jump back into the passage. Verse nine, the second half says this, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter wants to make sure we understand our calling, but he also wants us to understand us to understand our condition. Our condition. Do you notice he says in verse 9, out of darkness you were called out of darkness. That's a term that he's using to describe our lostness. Before you come to know Christ, you are spiritually lost. You are helpless. You are hopeless. That's the idea. And he's brought us into the light. He also uses this word, you have not received mercy. But now you have received his mercy. Who needs mercy? Helpless people, hopeless people. People that can't do what is needed for themselves, that's mercy. One of my favorite parables that Jesus told is the parable of the prodigal son. Many of you know that one. The younger son of the father wants his inheritance and he goes and he squanders it and he spends it on horrible things. And then he becomes completely destitute and we're told that he's just feeding pigs quite an offensive thing to a Jew he's feeding pigs and he says and he he wonders if he could go back to his father right and simply be a slave but there's a phrase that is used there that is so profound to me it's talking about the younger son who would would have been willing to eat the pig food and it says when he came to his senses. He asked for mercy. I'm gonna go back to my father and say, if I can just work as a servant, please let me. And we need God's mercy. We need God's mercy. I like the word mercy. The word grace is a powerful word, but mercy really emphasizes how helpless we are, right? People who don't know Christ need, God, need God's mercy, People who do know Jesus sometimes need God's mercy too, right? We do. I think, you know, because I've had a, a pr- the privilege of being a pastor and just knowing so many people over the years, so many hurting people, there are so many Christians that come to the end of their rope, that come to the pit of despair because they have tried and they just keep going back to making terrible decisions, engaged in horrible, addictive behaviors, whatever it might be. Sometimes Christians need to cry out for God's mercy too, right? We do, we really do. Because sometimes there is no way we can help ourselves. And maybe there's some with us this morning that are kind of living in this horrible cycle of sin and shame and sin and shame and sin and guilt and shame in your life. My heart breaks for you. I'm sorry. But have we called our sin what it is? And have we cried out to mercy for Jesus? You know, often some of us say, well, I'm doing this five-step plan. I'm doing this 10 or 12-step plan, assuming it's going to make everything right. Have you cried out to God for mercy? Have you cried out to the Lord and said, I can't do this myself? It's not an easy place to be, but often it's the essential place to be, my friends, when you cannot do it. And he is full of mercy. He is full of mercy. And this morning, if that's where you're living, oh, my dear brother and sister, ask him, cry out to him. Boy, don't we read that throughout the Psalms? The crying out to God for mercy, for grace. I just wonder if this morning that's where you are. And maybe your heart has been... Uh, stubborn and not ready to just say, Lord Jesus, I need your mercy. He will give it to you. He really loves you and he wants to help. Mercy. It's what we need. Well, there's one more phrase in this passage I wanna touch on. It's the second part of verse nine. To me, it's kind of the most important piece In this whole discussion about our purpose and our calling. And it's this phrase, to declare the praises of him. Other versions say, to declare the excellencies of him. Him is Jesus Christ. This is our common calling, our common purpose as believers. This needs to be a huge part, my friends, of your life purpose. And that is to declare... The greatness and the praises of Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you very specifically how do you do that in your life? How do you make sure that you are, I'm quoting, mission point, mission statement show and share the love of Jesus? We need to show it. We need to share it. We need to share it. How do we do that? You know, opportunities come, I'm sure they do, to many of you, where you're at work or you're a neighbor, whatever, and you just are a a really kind person and a compassionate person. And somebody, maybe even somebody who doesn't know Christ, will say to you in your place of work, in your neighborhood, whatever it might be, and say, you are such a kind person. Do you just say, thank you? Thank you is okay to say, but do you say, thank you, Jesus and my relationship with him has helped me really grow in that area of my life. You see, my friends, that's how we declare the praises of him. And I think in some ways, this may sound harsh, but that's fine. In some ways, we rob Jesus of his glory when people notice his qualities in our lives, and we don't speak up and point to Him. And some of you say, oh, that would be so weird to do at work. Well, yeah. Aren't we called to be on mission? Aren't we called to share the gospel? Aren't we called to give glory to Christ in our lives? When, when that becomes something you do naturally, and I'm not talking about quoting five Bible verses and having them kneel and receive Jesus, a Savior, on the spot. I'm just saying, give him credit. Give him credit. There are ways to do that. And when it starts becoming how you talk, you know, when somebody says, I hear your mom is dying. You know, we were, we were discussing, because you had shared with a couple people on Facebook that your mom is in stage four of cancer and I hear she's dying And, you know, you must be just, it must be so horrible and so depressing to you and we're so sad and you thank them for their kindness and for their words. And then you say, she knows Jesus. We will miss her when she dies, but she's going to be with Christ who she loves with her whole heart. Is it weird to say that? Is it like, is there something wrong with saying that my friends? Or does that kind of sound like declaring the praises of him who has taken you from darkness into his wonderful light? I want to challenge each one of us to begin to talk more that way. Not in some scripted, weird way, but in a very natural way. When you and I say one of my main purposes in life is to declare the praises of Christ and not steal his glory, (laughs) I think that's what we do. When people notice Jesus in us and we take credit, let's not do that. Let's really work on not doing that. Let's say something about him. I call this our commission to declare the praises of him. My friends, this is our commission. This is something that is baked into everybody's life purpose to declare the greatness, the praises of Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, to point people to him, to point people to him. That's a huge part. Wherever you work, whatever you do, that's a part of it. That's our commission. In fact, the word commission is often used for the verses in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. I'll read those in a moment that are the marching orders of the church, right? Jesus had died on the cross, rose from the grave, met with his disciples, is ready to ascend back up into heaven and he gives his commission. He gives his marching orders, not just to the group that gathered there, but for the church for the last 2,000 years. And here's what he said. Then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's why this applies to us. Are you declaring the praises of Jesus where you work? In your neighborhood? How about in your own home? Your kids hear you give glory to Jesus? When God is good, when God blesses your family, do they hear you give glory to Jesus? That's how we declare His praises. And I want to tell you, as we've talked about our calling, I think declaring His praises is part of all of our calling, all of our life purpose. It is. Periodically, when when this has been true with me when I'm around children, my own two girls, my six grandkids, other kids that I know, um, and this might be true with you. Maybe this happens at school with your kids or other places. Here's a question that will come up that will be asked to a child. What do you want to be when you grow up? And it's kind of interesting and fun to hear what they say. But I want to reframe that question to say to a four year old, a six year old, what do you think Jesus wants you to be when you grow up? Big difference. First of all, to ask a four year old to think about their future career is kind of crazy. What How about planting that seed in their little mind and heart? What does Jesus, do you think, what does he want you to be when you grow up? And if that sets them on a path to think in terms of Jesus has a purpose for my life, Jesus has a calling, has a plan for my life, then you have mastered Parenting 101 as far as I'm concerned (laughs) because that's how Christ followers think. Maybe you're not four, five, or six years old. Maybe you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even older. And you've not been thinking about your life in terms of what God's purpose is for you you know, you've kind of lived and maybe you've had seasons where you've thought a lot about that and, and you feel like God has used you to be a testimony for him. That's fantastic. But maybe you've gotten off that track. Maybe that's not what you think and pray about every day. Lord, make me a testimony for you. Lord, help me to share your greatness. Help me to share your gospel. Help me to um, give you glory. Give you glory when people notice or say things to me about me. Maybe today's the day to get back on track. Get back in sync with your calling, with God's purpose for your life. If it is, just talk to him. Just tell him. Say, Lord, I want to get back on track. Lord, I want to declare your praises at work, in my own home, in my neighborhood, when I hang out with my friends, and especially, Lord, when I'm in a context where I'm with people who don't know you, who are living in darkness, Would you pray about that? I think God will honor that big time because he delights when we pray like that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to dig into your word this morning, to be reminded that you have a purpose and a plan for our lives. Thank you, Father, for uh, just the fact that we have full access to you, that we can pray to you, any time that we can worship you. Thank you, Father, that we can even cry out for mercy when we are stuck in a debilitating, shameful sin pattern in our lives. Thank you that you hear. Thank you that you respond. Thank you, Father, that you just love us more than we can even imagine. And Lord, at the end of our lives, may we have lived with your purpose Lord, make that one of our passions. Thank you again, Lord, for our time together to worship. We wanna honor you. And we want our lives to bring glory to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.